let me invite you to grab your bulletin. And in particular, the tan insert that is inside your bulletin. Will you find that and, and pull that out? This is something that we publish each year. And it's a list. It's a list of those who have graciously donated so that we might have these beautiful flowers, the poinsettias, here during the Christmas season. But the list indicates those both who have contributed for these flowers, but it also lists individuals either in honor or in memory for whom these flowers have been donated. But that list is not simply a list of names. If you look at each line, each line represents a story. Each line represents more than just a story. Each line represents a multi-volume work of stories, of relationships, of memories. The, there, the, the, first, the first couple of lines list names of those for whom poinsettias have been given in honor of. Individuals who are still living, those stories are still being written. But notice, the vast majority of entries on this list are for flowers who have been given in memory of someone or some ones. In part, those stories have already been written. I say in part because on the one hand, they remind us of those who were once with us, those who are no longer a phone call away. And so in that sense, the story is complete. But the influence of their story is not yet complete, as symbolized by those who have given flowers to remember dear loved ones. And each one of you this morning could add your own entries to a list like this. Dear loved ones, family members, friends, whose influence still bears in on your life. And this list, these flowers, are a sobering reminder that there's, a, there's an influence of others in our lives that we celebrate, that we want to honor, that we want to remember and share with others. Just as Christmas is a time for celebrating, for rejoicing in the birth 
of the long-awaited king. But these flowers are also a reminder, and the names before you are a reminder that though this season is a season of rejoicing and a season of celebration, it is also a time that for many brings with it not only celebration, but also sadness. The Bible, the Scriptures, God's inspired, inerrant Word to us, are neither silent nor deceptive. In leading us both in celebration and in speaking to us, in our sorrow. And recognizing the fact that the Christmas season can be a time of difficulty for many. This morning I want us to hear how the Lord Jesus, in one way, the Scripture speaks into our lives in countless ways. This morning, I want us to hear one way the Lord Jesus meets us and speaks to us by his words, a message of comfort, a message of rest for the Christmas blues. Let's read Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you pray with me once more? Father, as we pause, Father, help us. Help us during this time. Help us to avoid distractions outside of us. Help us, Father, to avoid distractions within us. Father, help us to view the lives that you have given to us, past, present, and future, in light of Jesus' great and gracious promise to provide rest for the weary soul. Father, I pray that your word this morning would provide rest, would provide comfort, would point us to rest now and rest forevermore that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen. 
Jesus' invitation in these verses, especially the last three verses, are rich for application. But this morning, I want us to think specifically about how Jesus' words speak into the experience that I and others describe, identify as the Christmas blues. And to understand and appreciate and appropriate Jesus' offer of rest, uh, there are three things that I want us to see in connection to these verses. First, we need to recognize the Christmas blues, recognize them for what they are. We need to understand the offer of rest that Jesus gives, understand Jesus' offer of rest. But not only do we need to understand this context in Jesus' invitation, but we need to run to Jesus for the rest that only he can provide. So that's what I want us to think about from this passage this morning. The, the sermon will be a little different than what you might expect during our time together, not so much an, an exposition of these verses, but I want us to see how these verses and Jesus' invitation meets us, meets you, and meets me where we find ourselves during this season. So first, recognize the Christmas blues. It's a reality that during this season, memories come, emotions swell, and there's, a, there's an experience of, of grief that maybe you know all too well this morning. Maybe Maybe you know that all too well this morning. Maybe you don't know it this morning, but it's coming later this week. Maybe it's not you in this season of life, but it's someone you know, someone you care about. Maybe it's not today, but it will be in the springtime or the summertime, or any time of year. Uh, the kind of loneliness and, and sadness that can accompany this time of year has a variety of sources. And I don't mean this list to be exhaustive, but, but suggestive. I, I, I think often the sa sadness that can come at Christmas comes largely from two aspects of life relationships and circumstances. Relationships and circumstances. Perhaps it's strained relationships. There's tension in your family or in the workplace. And you feel that acutely right now. Maybe it's relationships especially in this past year, that have been broken, especially by the enemy of death. 
Perhaps it's a lack of desired relationships. Perhaps it's distant relationships. Circumstances prevent you geographically from being with those that you would like to be with this time of year. Relationships bring this kind of sadness, but also life circumstances, financial stress, work stress, health uncertainty. It can bring this kind of sadness. And this particular time of year, while all of those we experience throughout the calendar, this time of year has a particular way of amplifying the experience of grief and sadness associated with those relationships and circumstances. Part of it could be the weather. The sun's just not out as much, and that influences us. Part of it is the nostalgia associated with this time. Think back to that list of names and those relationships memorialized in these flowers. You remember times of joy and celebration with loved ones during this time of the season. You remember traditions that you enjoyed with those dear ones. And because of the enemy of death or other influences in life, you can't enjoy those traditions in the same way. There's also, connected to that, there's also just the joy that goes with this time of year. It is a time to celebrate. The Magi celebrate the coming of Jesus. The angels celebrate as they announce the coming king. The shepherds make haste to go see what they had been told about. This is a time to celebrate. But that joy and that celebration can contrast with Again, the grief, the busyness, as Nita alluded to earlier, this is just a busy time of year. The, year, the end of the year is coming, or you're preparing for celebrations, gifts, practices, all kinds of things are going on. But at some point, the calendar slows down. At some point, the dust settles. At some point, we're left with our memories and reflections. And the season has a way of intensifying our emotional experience during this season. I want, I want to suggest that there are there are a number of ways, again, that the scriptures speak into this experience. But there are two word pictures, two images, if you will, that the scriptures give 
that connect with Jesus' invitation to rest that help illustrate the experience of these Christmas blues. One is restlessness. Restlessness. I, I think we can understand how that connects with Jesus' image. He's inviting us to rest because we need rest. In and of ourselves, we are restless. And as we think about memories and reflect on the past, sometimes it feels like we are in a state of restlessness because our mind just won't stop. We can't stop thinking about what we're longing for, what we're missing, or what is yet to come. We, we experience this restlessness. But another image, it's not so obvious how it connects to Jesus' offer, but it does, and that is the image of exile. The image of exile or separation. What is it to be in exile? It's, it means you're not at home. You're not in comfortable surroundings. And, and for some, as they reflect on the past, they look around, they remember the traditions, they reflect on the fact that their loved one is not here to enjoy that tradition, and it's just not familiar anymore. It doesn't feel like home. It feels as if we're in exile separated from a place, separated from circumstances that we long to be in. For some, the exile, the separation is not from something that they have known. It's from something that they're longing for. The absence of relationships desired. And it's still feels like we're not yet home. Through this morning's passage, the Lord Jesus speaks words of rest to restless exiles. And so we need to understand, we need to understand Jesus' offer of rest in these verses. First, let's make some very quick observations. Read with me again verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Quickly notice a, a number of things about what Jesus Says We're going to quick hit these and then dig into an aspect of what Jesus is saying. First, it's an invitation. He says, come. And the invitation is an invitation not to a place, not to an experience per se, but it's an invitation to a person. Jesus says, come to me. Come to him. The invitation is given to a particular group. All you who labor or are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. 
knowing as she prepared for the children's lesson, our passage for this morning, Nita Hansen sent me a, a text, a screen grab from social media yesterday from, from a man, I, I, I don't know him, but he was reflecting on this passage and he hit the nail on the head. This is what he said. He said, Jesus didn't say, come to me, all who are crushing it, living your best life. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. If you're discouraged, tired, or weary, don't worry. That's exactly how Jesus expected you to come to him. He's exactly right. And the only thing that I would add is not only does Jesus expect us to come to him broken, tired, weary, That is how we must come to Jesus. We can only know the rest that Jesus provides if we come to him needy, if we come to him acknowledging our weariness, our need for rest. And this invitation includes a gift to that group. I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say he will show the way to rest. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll lead you to where rest is found. Jesus says that he is the giver of rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. And a particular rest, a rest for your soul, a refreshing, a fulfillment, rest at its deepest level. Peace, contentment, and fullness of life. This is what Jesus promises to give the weak and the weary who come to him. But the invitation includes a non-negotiable responsibility. He says, come to me and I will give you rest, but not only come, take my yoke upon you. The rest that Jesus provides isn't an escape. But what is this yoke? Whatever it is, it's easy and light, Jesus says in verse 30. And I think R.C. Sproul gets it right in his commentary on this passage about what this image of the yoke represents. This is what Sproul says. When I think about the word yoke, I see a pair of oxen joined together by a heavy wooden yoke that keeps them moving in unison. The Bible sometimes uses that kind of yoke as a metaphor. For instance, we're told not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers in marriage. That would be like putting two completely incompatible oxen together and expecting them to work as a team. Such an attempt is doomed to fail. However, Jesus is not talking about this kind of yoke. In ancient times, and even now in other cultures, when a person carried a load, he might wear a yoke across his shoulders so he could carry his burden in a balanced fashion. Water was typically carried this way with a bucket on each end of the yoke. That is the kind of yoke Jesus had in mind. And he promised such a yoke to everyone who came to him. This yoke would make it easy for them to carry the burdens they could not 
carry without it. This invitation also includes a non-negotiable opportunity to learn from Jesus himself. Learn from me. It includes a reason for responding because of Jesus' character. He's already in the verses immediately preceding. He's exerted his authority, his right and responsibility to reveal the Father, but he also not only talks about his majesty, his power, but he also talks about his character as one who is gentle, one who is humble, one who is lowly in heart. Jesus' invitation includes a promised result. He promises to give rest, soul-satisfying rest. And the reason Jesus promises this result is because his yoke is easy. Going back to those two images I suggested earlier, the image of restlessness, I think it's easy, easy to see how that connects with what Jesus is addressing here. We're weary and in need of rest. We experience a restlessness in this life. And Jesus promises to meet us in that unrest and provide what we need. But what about the picture of exile? What does that have to do with the offer of rest that Jesus provides? Much more than we have time to explore this morning. But we need to look at Jesus' offer with the Old Testament in the background. You see, when you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew is making an argument over and over and over. Matthew is arguing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the one who provides the fulfillment of all of those promises. And when he comes and he presents Jesus offering this invitation of rest, he does so with the Old Testament promises and the Old Testament anticipation in the background. The rest that the Old Testament looked forward to is the rest that Jesus provides. Just look ahead to chapter 12 where Jesus identifies himself as the Lord of the Sabbath the day of rest. He's the one who rules over that. He's the one who rules over rest. He is the one who provides rest for the weary soul. But what does this have to do with exile? Three three broad ways. Exile is its separation, its banishment from home. And the first great exile in the Old Testament that colors every other exile and affects every corner of your life and my life is Adam and Eve's exile from Eden's garden. 
when they disobeyed God and they experienced the judgment of God and were sent out of Eden, thus began humanity's long, dark exile because of sin. We experience separation from God. We experience brokenness in one another in part because we sin. Because we say and do and want and think things that are contrary to God's designs for us. But not only do we experience this separation because we sin, we also experience this separation in life because we live in a sin-cursed world. And we experience the sin of others against us. We experience life in a world that just does not operate as it was originally designed to do in God's good and perfect creation. So the fall leads us to this experience of exile in sin. And the Christmas blues, the loneliness, the isolation, the grief, that is a product, those things are a product of this exile in a broken world that is our life. All the grief, all the pain, all the sadness, all the heartache that we experience day after day in this life is the result of sin. I'm not saying that you can draw a one-to-one correlation between something you've said and you've done and every sorrowful experience that you go through. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Sometimes we can connect the dots. Sometimes we can say, okay, I am, I am suffering the consequence of my lying. I am suffering the consequence of my selfishness in this. But sometimes we suffer and we groan, not because of anything that we have done, but because we live in a broken world because others intentionally and unintentionally sin against us. The Christmas blues and all forms of suffering and sadness stem from our exile in sin that flows out of Adam and Eve's original rebellion against God. But that's not the only way the Old Testament speaks to our exile, our separation from God, and into which Jesus speaks these words of rest. There's another exile. As the story in Genesis rolls along, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are promised a land. But Genesis closes and the people are outside of the land. They are in exile, separated from their homeland in Egypt. Not because of anything that they have done in this instance, but they are separated. And listen to how God reflects back after he sends Moses to rescue them out of Egypt. Listen to how he describes his rescue, listen to how he describes their experience of that exile 
and listen with Jesus' invitation to come and rest in the background. Leviticus 26, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. They were under a yoke of slavery. And when God rescued them out of that slavery, he broke that yoke. And as they're on their way to the promised land, he tells them, this is what it will be like. I have rescued you, and this is where I am taking you to. Out of your exile into the promised land, he says, you have not yet come to the rest, to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. He has broken the yoke of slavery, and he promises to deliver them into rest. But as he establishes his relationship with them, there are these obligations that they must submit to his good and loving reign if they are going to experience this rest in the land. And as part of the relationship that he makes with them, he gives them warnings. He says, there will be consequences if you don't walk under my loving reign. And this is how he describes those consequences. Deuteronomy 28, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. And then he goes on to say, among these nations, when... when the enemy comes in and takes you into exile because you have rebelled against me, God tells the Israelites. He said, this is what your experience in exile will be like. And among these nations, you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your soul, will be at, your soul will be in unrest when you are in exile. If you don't walk under my good and saving reign, God is telling Israel. And what happens? After much patience and 800 years, after rebellion, after rebellion, after rebellion... Israel's refusal to live under the good and gracious reign of God. First Assyria to the northern kingdom, then Judah to the southern kingdom, takes the Israelites into exile. And that yoke of slavery becomes theirs again. And time prevents us from looking, but in the prophets, in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in other places, the prophets repeatedly use this language of a yoke of slavery, of an experience of unrest in their exile, in their separation from the promised land. But there is hope. There is hope. Restoration is promised through Jeremiah again. Listen to what God promises. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break the enemy's yoke from off your neck. 
I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord, their God, and David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. And then he also says, thus says the Lord of hosts, again, speaking to the Israelites in exile because of their sin. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill, and Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together and the farmers and those who wander their flocks For, God says, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. We passed by it, but there's another place where God describes the way that he will show them as a way leading to rest, as a way leading to refreshment. So when we step back, And think about the message of the Old Testament and its promise for rest. This is what we see. Sin, that is rebellion against God, leads to exile or separation. And restlessness is a part of that experience. But there's always a yoke present. It's either the yoke of the enemy or it's the good and kind, benevolent yoke of God leading in the way of righteousness. And God promises to break the enemy's yoke, satisfy the weary soul, replenish every languishing soul, and raise up the Davidic king under whom the people will serve. God promises to break the enemy's yoke, satisfy the weary soul, replenish every languishing soul, and raise up David's king under whom the people will serve. And once again, time prevents us from going into detail, but repeatedly in the opening chapters of the book of Matthew, Jesus is the Davidic king who rescues his people from exile and restores them to rest. He is the greater Moses that leads out of Egypt and provides rest. He does what Israel could not do in the wilderness saying no to temptation and yes to God. If you look at the beginning of chapter 11, John is questioning Jesus. Are you the one we are to look for or is there another? Notice how Jesus responds. Matthew 11 verse 4. Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. What is Jesus saying? The prophets regularly in the Old Testament tied diseases to the harsh conditions of the exile. Jesus here is saying that he is the one who has come to free his people from the exile of sin. He is the promised deliverer. 
He is the one who provides rest for the weary soul. Jesus, Jesus is the promised deliverer who provides soul-satisfying rest for the restless exile. Jesus provides rest to us who are suffering under the weight and the effects of sin. And so what is Jesus' plea? Jesus' plea is to run to him for the rest that our souls long for. This morning, if you're here and you, you know nothing of this rest that Christ provides, Christmas time is a perfect time to reflect on the rest that Jesus provides. Because as we read from Matthew 1 earlier, when the angel comes and in a dream explains to Joseph what is happening in his betrothed, the promise is this child will save his people from their sin. And this is the first and the primary way we experience the rest that Jesus offers. We flee to him for rest from our sin, the effects of our sin. We lay down our supposed scepter and take upon his yoke of righteousness and follow him in the way in which he leads us. As if you're here this morning and you know nothing, you don't know of this Savior from sin, I would love to talk with you after the service this week to talk more about this Savior who saves us from the restless exile that sin places us in. But to you, many of you here this morning, your trust is in Christ. And yet, you know, you experience the fact that we don't yet have full and complete rest. We still experience separation. We still experience loneliness. We still experience sorrow. And again, Christmas time is the perfect time for us to recognize that the rest that Jesus provides is a rest now, even in the hardship, we can run to him for rest now, but it is also a rest yet to come. There is a place of future rest. There is coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that day is not yet. Why is Christmas time the perfect time to reflect on this now 
and future rest because Christmas time is a time of celebrating now and future joy. Here's what I mean. Is Christmas time a time for joy? Absolutely. The birth of the Messiah is something to be celebrated. Matthew's magi, the shepherds, the angels all demonstrate that this is a time for celebration. But that celebration is a tempered celebration. Because as the angel told, to, told Joseph, this child would save his people from their sins, how would he do that? He would do that by going to death for their sins. So that Simeon looks at Mary as she presents the child for dedication. And he says, a sword will pierce your own soul. Christmas is a time to celebrate. But it is a measured celebration. Because there is a death yet to come, a future salvation yet to be realized. So in this time of Christmas joy, and in this time of Christmas blues, there is rest to be found in Jesus. And there is a future rest which he will provide to us at the second advent, at the second coming. And so now we celebrate and now we sorrow, but we look ahead to the great rest that is yet to come with Jesus forever. Friends, we're not yet home. We're not yet home. We are on sojourn. This world is not our home. We look now to Jesus for rest. But we also together cry out, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, so that we might know the full rest that you promise, Lord Jesus, to the weary soul. So after I pray, we're going to sing that prayer that cry together, come, thou long-expected Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, that through your word, that by the gracious work and invitation of your Son. Father, I pray that I, along with my brothers and sisters in Christ, this Christmas season, 
would tangibly know the rest that the Lord Jesus provides to the languishing soul. Father, I pray that you would help us to lament, to cry out to you and to look to you to still, to quiet our hearts. Father, I pray for any who are with us this morning, Father, who, who only know restlessness, who don't know the joy and peace and hope that Christ has come to bring. Father, I pray that even today that they would know the rest that Jesus provides to the weary soul. In his name we pray. Amen.